You know, God is so good. He loves us so much. Sometimes we can't see his goodness and what we're going through, but his goodness will never fail us. His faithfulness will never end. His mercies are new every morning. He's got something new and powerful to share with you today. I can't wait to see what God's gonna do today. God's been working miracles and God's been changing lives and he has a word directly for you. I don't know what you're going through, but God does. And a lot of times people will say to me, Carrie, how, how did you know what I was going through? Have you been reading my email? It's like, no, I have no clue, but God does through his word. I can't change one life, but God's word can change all of our lives. And so are you expecting God to speak to you today? Expect it, expect it, because he's here right now to speak a word to you. Dear God, we come before you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much and that you put on your calendar a divine appointment with each and every person within the sound of my voice. And you put that on your calendar before you created the world. And I thank you that you're here today to meet with us and that you wanted us to be here to meet with you because you wanna do something in our lives that will change us and we'll never be the same again. And we thank you that you're gonna do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Hey, we just started a new series that's all about a two-word prayer. Now, it's not a very impressive prayer. It's not a very intellectual prayer. It's so simple, it doesn't sound like a very spiritual prayer. I mean, when you pray this two-word prayer, no one's going to say, that's the deepest, most beautiful prayer I've ever heard. You must be so spiritual. But this two-word prayer brings all of heaven to the rescue. It's one of the most powerful prayers you could ever pray, and the prayer is, God, help. It's a prayer that gets God's attention because it means that you're in a situation that's caused you to realize the situation you're in all the time. That your true condition is you're completely dependent upon God. We're utterly dependent upon God at all times. We're dependent on God for our next breath. But it's in that place of desperation where you've tried everything else and you realize how powerless you are to fix your situation. It's in the place at the end of your rope and no matter how hard you try, you can't hold on any longer. And that's when you come face to face with the reality that he's God and you're not. And you finally wake up to the fact that you desperately need God's help all the time. I want us to look at a man in the New Testament who was desperate for Jesus' help. He was at the end of his rope and Jesus was his last chance. The man was bringing his son to Jesus because the boy was possessed by an evil spirit that was trying to destroy him. The demon would throw the boy into the fire or into the water and the father was just crushed watching his son go through all this pain. And this dad was a loving father who was doing everything he could to get his son the help that he needed and nothing had worked. He had hit dead end after dead end. In fact, we'll pick up the story right after this father brings his son to the disciples and ask them if they can do something about it. They try, and they can't do anything. But finally, after all the disappointments, after all the letdowns, after all the wrong turns, desperately trying to find the answer, he arrives at the feet of Jesus. And when you're broken and worn out at the end of your hope, there's no better place to wind up than at the feet of Jesus. 
God's one and only son and our one and only hope. Now just think about the journey they'd been on. All the wrong turns, all the dead ends, all the hope-filled roads that led up the mountaintop only to drop right down into a valley of despair. All the detours, all the painful paths, all the winding and broken roads that they had traveled led them right to the feet of Jesus. It's never the straight and smooth path that leads us to the feet of Jesus. It's always the winding and broken road that finally brings us to the feet of the Savior. Someone needed to hear that today because the road that you're having to walk right now is so painful you can barely take another step and you think that you can't make it through and everything in you wants to go back to where you were walking a really smooth and straight road, but you can't go back. Just know this, you're on the only road that can lead you to the feet of the Savior because it's only the broken and painful roads. Sometimes the road winds around and it seems like it's purposeless. It seems like that it's not leading you anywhere. It's a rocky road. It's a painful road. But that road is leading you to the feet of Jesus. And that's when your road of hurt collides with the hope of heaven. It's the broken road you're on right now that brings you face to face with your only hope. So I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter nine and we're gonna see that right after this man took his son to the disciples and couldn't find the answer there, that he ends up at the feet of Jesus. So would you stand in honor of God's word and follow along with me? So they brought him to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately convulsed the boy. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said, and many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you could do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Then Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. You can be seated. I love this father. You see, he arrives at Jesus' feet, and he has faith that Jesus has the power to heal his son, and yet he was struggling with this. He believed that Jesus could really make all the difference, and yet his mind was flooded with doubt. For you see, he had had so many times where his hopes had been dashed. Over the years, he had had all the confidence and hope beat out of him. And so he was at the place where he believed Jesus could do it, but yet his heart was also filled with doubt. And I think he probably struggled with risking his heart again because there were so many times that he put his heart out there and trusted that this was going to be the answer only to have his heart crushed. And so he was hesitant to put his heart out again and and like, yeah, this is gonna be it. I believe totally in you, Jesus. Because he knew the pain of what it felt like to put his heart out there and have it totally obliterated. And that's where he was. There was some faith left in him, but it wasn't much. It was weak and imperfect and it was almost gone. But he mustered up just a little bit of imperfect faith and somehow, in some way, he took that 
little bit of imperfect faith that he had left, he collapsed at the feet of Jesus and he prayed a prayer that has been prayed by countless believers ever since. I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Have you prayed that prayer? You know, I've prayed it many times where I believe and yet I also have doubts that bombard me. I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus, he answered that prayer because that's a prayer that gets God's attention because it's a very honest prayer. He wasn't trying to fake it at all. He he was just saying, yeah, I really do believe in you. And yet, there have been so many times where my confidence and hope has been beaten out of me through the years. And I, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, God loves that prayer because it means that we've taken a little bit of faith we have and we place it all on him and we're being really honest about it, that we don't have a whole lot of faith. And I have to say that almost every time that God impresses upon Chris and I that our church is supposed to take this big step of faith and believe God for something great that we can't do on our own, and maybe it's a huge mission endeavor to make a difference in the world, You know, maybe it's something for our students where we're stepping out in faith to do something we've never done before. And maybe it's a church-wide project that we're gonna go for it like we've never gone at it before. And I'll stand up here and say, you know, I really believe that God has told Chris and I that we're to step out in faith and believe God for great things, to believe God for everything he's called us to believe him for. And this is impossible, but yet nothing's impossible with God, and we're gonna do it because God has called us to, and God is going to come through, and you're gonna see a miracle of God. And you guys have so much faith, you're like, yeah, let's charge the gates of hell with a water gun. We can do it with God's power. God will do it. We don't have the strength, but God's gonna do it. Let's go. Come on. You guys have so much faith. And then I'll go sit down next to Chris and go, did God really tell us that? I think he did. I mean, you think God's really gonna come through like that? I know he is. God, I know you're gonna come through. Aren't you? Aren't you gonna come through? Lord, I mean, it's like, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. For you see, every believer throughout history with great faith has also had their doubts. From doubting Thomas to Mother Teresa, even John the Baptist at the end of his life in prison, waiting to be executed, started having some doubts. He started having some doubts that Jesus really was the Messiah, that he had lived his whole life, not a comfortable life, but he had lived his whole life and ended up in prison because He believed in Jesus with all his heart and he was following God with his whole heart and yet he was waiting to be executed for following God with his whole heart and he started wondering, a few little doubts crept in. Is Jesus really the Messiah? John was thinking, did I waste my life? I could have lived a comfortable life. Did I waste my life? And even John the Baptist started having doubts and so he sent some of his followers to hang out with Jesus for a little bit. And Jesus turned to them after they'd been spending some time with him And he said, go back and tell John. In Matthew 11, four through six, Jesus told them, go back and tell John what's going on. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the wretched of the earth learn that God is on their side. Is this what you're expecting? 
then count yourselves most blessed. Jesus didn't get mad at John the Baptist. Jesus didn't get upset with him or criticize him because of his doubts. Jesus didn't say, dude, get your act together. You're John the Baptist. I mean, you're my greatest follower. You came before me to proclaim that I was coming. I mean, if you doubt, I mean, it's gonna give me a bad name. If you doubt, everyone else's faith is gonna crumble. No, Jesus just encouraged him. He quoted a prophecy from the Old Testament that said when the Messiah comes, he's gonna make blind eyes see. He's gonna make the lame walk. He's gonna raise the dead. He's gonna preach good news to the poor. And so he encouraged him, and the followers of John had seen Jesus do those very things. And Jesus said, you're blessed because you believed. You lived your life in belief. And John was encouraged. And Jesus encourages us in our doubts. He doesn't get mad at you when you have a bout with doubt. And this father laid all his doubts at the feet of Jesus. And there's no better place to lay your doubts than at the feet of Jesus. I really believe you can't have a solid faith unless you have some doubts because you're choosing, I'm gonna choose faith instead of these doubts I'm having. I'm gonna act on this faith in Jesus rather than these doubts that are coming into my mind. And so you began to choose real faith and your faith grows and becomes solid because of the doubts. And so there's no better place to lay your doubts than the feet of Jesus. This father brought all of his doubts, all of his belief, the little bit of faith he had, and he brought it right to the feet of Jesus. There's no better place to lay your doubts, to put your anger, to bring your questions and all of your frustrations and all of your doubts than the feet of Jesus Christ. Look at Mark 9, 19. Jesus said, bring the boy to me. That's so significant because Jesus was telling the Father, bring to me what no one else can handle. Bring to me what no one else can do. No one else could heal this boy. He says, bring to me this boy. Bring to me what no one else can deal with. He was saying, bring to me all your questions. Bring to me your doubts. Bring to me your anger and frustrations. Bring to me all those questions of why, God, would you allow this? Bring it all to me. I can handle it. Bring it on, Jesus is saying. And that's what he says to you today. Pour out your anger, pour out your hurt, pour out your pain, pour out your doubts, pour out your frustrations and all your questions. Jesus wants you to. He says, bring it on. And like Job, who finally broke down and just let God have it for all the pain that he was allowing in his life, God just listened with compassion. He just listened. He didn't interrupt Job. He didn't say, Job, stop it. I'm God. You're not. You don't get this. You don't understand why I'm allowing this. And so don't speak to me that way. No, God just let Job get it all out, all his anger and frustrations. And God just listened with compassion. And Job, I know it hurts. I'm so sorry that it hurts so much. He just listened and Job got it all out. And God was still there with compassion and love. Dr. Paul Looney, who's over all of our counseling ministries here at Woodland Church, told me the other day that, you know, there's the mountain that's strong and immovable, 
And then there's the storms that hit the mountain, and the storms can be terrible. The storms can be blinding where you can't see the mountain. The storms can be heavy winds and blizzards and, and just these storms that hit the mountain. But when the storm moves on, the mountain is unmoved. It's solid. And sometimes I'm the wind. You know, we can be the storm that comes against the mountain, and it's okay. The mountain can handle it. Sometimes I'm a storm of anger coming at the mountain of God because God is the mountain and I am the storm. Sometimes I'm a storm of anger, I'm a storm of frustrations coming at the mountain of God. I'm a storm of questions, I'm a storm of doubts. But when I finally get it all out and I have a calmness in my heart, the mountain of God is unmoved. He lets me get it all out and his love for me is immovable. And God says, you bring it on, I'm the mountain. And I will be here and I will prove to you that I will never be moved and my love for you is immovable. Well, I, I want us to look at Mark 9, 22. It says, well, the Father says to Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. And so it's God, help us. Notice he didn't say, God, help him, help my son. He needs help. He said, God, help us. It wasn't a he thing, it was an us thing because he was hurting just as much or even more than his son was. Seeing his son go through all that pain and all that torment just crushed him. And for those of you who are parents, you know that when you see your kids go through hurt, nothing hurts you more. And everything in you wants to take away the pain. And when you can't, it hurts you so deeply. He said, us, because I'm hurting, my son's hurting, and I'm hurting because my son's hurting. And no matter how much we believe in Christ's power to do something about it, we can't help but doubt in those times the goodness of God, because we don't see the goodness of God. When someone we love is hurting so deeply and we can't do anything about it and we wanna take it away and it seems so unfair, that's when we begin to doubt God's goodness, that God is good, that he knows what he's doing because we think, how God could you allow it? And Jesus asked the Father, when did this start? Now Jesus knew when it started, he's God, but I think it's because he wanted the Father to remember how helpless this situation was and that no one could help. It's been going on for so long. And, and the Father said, as a small child, it started when he was a small child, so that shows me that it wasn't this child's fault that he was tormented and possessed by a demon. And to me, that seems like one of the most unfair things that I could ever think of, one of the most unloving things that God would allow a demon to torment this son when he'd done nothing wrong. And the father's a loving father, so I don't know that he'd done anything wrong to cause this. And I mean, how unfair and why? Why would God allow an evil spirit to torment a child who's done nothing wrong? That makes no sense to me. I don't understand that. And it's when people you love, who love the Lord, are going through pain, even though they love God with all their heart, that we begin to doubt the goodness of God. And it's in those times that I have to pray, God, I believe, help my unbelief. God, I don't see your goodness. I don't understand what you're up to. But God, I believe, please help my unbelief. 
and I cling to the promise in Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So I have to say when I can't see why God has allowed something painful in my life or in the life of someone I love, I have to pray, God, I believe this promise, help my unbelief. God, I believe that you're gonna take all this bad and all this awful and you're gonna somehow bring good out of it for your glory and my good, but I can't see it right now. So God, I believe, help my unbelief. I know this promise is true, but help my unbelief. And then I hear the whisper of Romans 8, 28, this promise that there is a purpose in my pain and that makes all the difference. I hear this promise getting louder and louder in my heart that there is a purpose in my pain and somehow God can take this painful situation that makes no sense and just like the crucifixion, the worst moment in all of human history, he took it and made it the greatest moment for all of us and he can take your pain and he has a purpose in it though we cannot see it and he can bring something glorious out of it. Now in Romans 8, 28, it doesn't say that everything is good. It says that God takes all the bad and the ugly and all of the happy times and all of the hardest times, all of the best things, all the awful things, and somehow puts them all together to bring good out of it, that God can bring good out of every situation. You see, I have to pray, though. God, I believe, help my unbelief. It means that I take my little bit of imperfect faith to God, and I say, God, I believe, help my unbelief, and somehow he turns that prayer into a glorious prayer that brings all heaven to the rescue, and he works powerful miracles in that moment. I want us to look at two verses before Romans 8, 28, which may be an even more powerful verse than Romans 8, 28. It's Romans 8, 26. It says, meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our worthless sighs and aching groans. He's saying when all you can do is cry out to God or cry, that the Holy Spirit of God takes those tears and turns them into words. And it's a powerful prayer to God the Father that brings all heaven to the rescue. And sometimes we don't know what to pray, but if we'll just look to God and say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. If we pour out our heart to God, maybe we just cry to God. The Holy Spirit turns those tears into prayers. He, he takes our words that, maybe even words of anger and frustration, and he takes them and turns them into a powerful prayer to God. Exactly what we need, even when you don't know what you need and you just call out to God, the Holy Spirit of God, if you're a Christ follower, will take that and turn it into a beautiful prayer of exactly what you need from God. And God will answer that prayer. I love Romans 8, 26. But notice the Father didn't ask Jesus, why have you allowed this? Jesus, why has your heavenly Father allowed my boy to be tormented this way? This makes no, no sense. He didn't deserve it. Why? He doesn't ask that question, why? He just comes right to Jesus' feet and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. He doesn't ask the question why. Now, maybe he asked it a lot, 
leading up to this, but here he doesn't ask the question why, and that's usually the question we ask when we're going through pain. God, why did you allow this? Why, why, why? And God rarely answers that question. He rarely answers the question why. I think one reason is because it wouldn't really help us when we're going through pain. If he told us all the answers, those answers don't really do a whole lot for us. It's his presence that brings us comfort. All the answers don't get us through another day. It's his presence that carries us through another day. The other reason I think he doesn't always tell us why is because we couldn't comprehend it in our finite minds. We couldn't totally fathom it because God has an eternal perspective and he knows and we don't. And if he told us why, we may not even be able to comprehend the why, at least on this earth. And so asking why is something we all do when we're going through pain, but the better question is what? Not why, God, but what, God? What are you trying to teach me in this pain? C.S. Lewis said pain is the greatest teacher, and maybe God is trying to teach you to depend on him more. Maybe God is trying to teach me that I need him so desperately, so I need to come to him constantly with my tears and with my hurt and pain. I need to come to him, and I'll find that he's reliable, that he is the mountain that is immovable. I need to learn so many things through the pain. But then I wanna ask, where's the pain leading me? Because the pain many times points us in a different direction. And that's why I know someone here needs Isaiah 43, 19, this promise of God, because you're in the middle of pain right now. You're in the middle of the desert, but God is redirecting you while you're in the desert. God is pointing you a new direction during this pain. God says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. When you're in a wilderness of pain, it's really hard to see what God is up to, but God says, if you're in the wilderness of pain today, I'm getting ready to do something new. I'm doing a new thing in your life. I'm redirecting you. You're in the desert, but I'm redirecting you to my oasis of fulfillment. And so you wanna ask, where is this pain leading me? Because pain redirects us. It never leaves us where it finds us. And many times pain positions us for our ultimate purpose in life because God never wastes the pain. There's always a purpose in it if you're a Christ follower. God uses the pain to position us. But I know the word now may be the most important word in that last promise. He says, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? When you're in the wilderness, you can't see what God is doing and it seems like nothing is happening no miracles are taking place, but they already are. I want you to know if you're in a wilderness today, a pain that already God is working the miracle and you just can't see it. It's kind of like it's underground, but it's about to spring forth. You may be on a broken road that's winding around and seems like it's going nowhere. Maybe you've hit dead end after dead end, but I'm telling you, God is doing something new and you're just about to end up at the feet of Jesus. That winding road is about to wind up at the feet of Jesus Christ and your ultimate purpose, and he's got a plan. Don't give up. That plan is about to be revealed. He's already doing it, you just can't see it yet. But you'll see it soon. Remember Joseph? Of course you do. Joseph had a dream that he would be really this great leader that would help his whole family and save his family from famine and so he told his brothers the dream and they couldn't stand him, they were so jealous, they threw him in a pit and then they sold him to slave traders 
in Egypt, and there in Egypt, he began to be a slave for a guy named Potiphar, and through his integrity, Potiphar noticed how much, how honest he was, and he raised him up to be head of his household, and then Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph, and Joseph did exactly what God told him to do. He ran from it, and she was so angry that she accused Joseph of attacking her, and so he was thrown in prison, falsely accused, left to rot in a prison cell, but then he interpreted a dream of someone in the prison, and that person got out of prison and worked for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh had a disturbing dream, and that person said, hey, there's a guy in prison that can interpret dreams. So Pharaoh brought Joseph in, and Joseph said, your dream, Pharaoh, means there's gonna be a huge famine in the land, and you better prepare for it. So Pharaoh appoints Joseph as second in command in all of Egypt. He becomes prince of Egypt. He goes from prison to prince. That's an amazing thing because all along the way, that winding and broken road that Joseph took that was so painful, God used the pain to position him for his purpose. And God uses our pain to propel us into our purpose, move us out of our comfort zone. And all along the way, I believe Joseph clung to that dream. They stole his coat, but they couldn't steal the dream. And he believed in that dream that God had given him. He may have prayed, God, I believe, help my unbelief, I'm rotting away in a prison cell. But that prison cell was just the place before becoming prince. And God is using your pain to position you for your purpose. That's the way our God works. And then Joseph's brothers came back to him because they needed food. And they came to the prince of Egypt. They didn't recognize Joseph, but he recognized them. And when he revealed himself to them, they were terrified. They said, Joseph's gonna take his revenge. We're dead. And Joseph said, no, I forgave you years ago. I didn't want bitterness to keep me from my purpose. I forgave you years ago. And then he says this in Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He said, you intended to harm me, and I'm not gonna deny it, I'm gonna be honest with you. You intended to hurt me deeply, but God intended it for my good. God took all of the pain that you inflicted on me and he turned it around into my purpose. You sent me on a broken and painful road that just kept winding around and around, but that road led to my purpose, and that was God using you. You intended to hurt me, but God took that intent and he turned it into his purpose. And God can take your broken road it's winding around and seems like there's no purpose in it, but it's taking you right to your purpose. It's taking you right to what he has for you because God never wastes your pain. Now, sometimes the pain brings what I call a holy disturbance, kind of a holy anger when you're going through pain and then you see someone else going through that pain. God will use that pain to propel you into your purpose and it always involves helping other people. It always involves making a difference in the lives of others. You use your pain to help somebody else who's going through that pain. And sometimes God gives you a holy disturbance in the pain because you see the enemy attacking and you get angry, righteously angry at what the enemy is doing, what he's done to you, what he's done to others, and you start doing something about it. You start saying, God, I know that you can do something about it, but I know you wanna use me to do something about it and you get involved to make a difference. See, this child was possessed by an evil spirit, 
And we see this in some of the third world countries we do missions in. You see people who are demon possessed and when the demon is cast out in Jesus' name, then they go back to normal and they're set free and it happens quite frequently in places we do missions, you know, in third world countries. But I wonder sometimes why we don't see that a whole lot in the U.S. And I think it's because Satan is already so successful in devastating the children and the students in this generation coming up in America that he doesn't want to reveal himself in that way because he's already having too much success doing it undercover. And most Christ followers don't even see how Satan is wreaking havoc on this generation coming up. He's trying to take them out because he, he knows they can change the world with God's power. And most Christians don't even see it. I mean, social media today is telling them that they've got to look a certain way and act a certain way and, and conform. And I think that's one of the reasons for all of the eating disorders and self-harm and all these things that are really hurting our young people, pornography is so accessible that so many young people are viewing it at an earlier age than ever before, than ever before. And all the new studies are showing that it's devastating to their mental health and their view of the world. And then you have all this cultural craziness that tells our young people, you can just do whatever you feel like doing. You know, it doesn't matter. There's not really any right or wrong. And all our culture is telling them, you just do whatever you want to do. And you can even choose your gender. You can just go with what you feel like and do what you feel like. There's no, no hurt in that. There's no wrong in that. And there's so much confusing messages coming from our culture. And I'm telling you, the enemy is wreaking havoc on this generation. And most Christ followers don't even see it. And Chris and I have a holy disturbance, a holy anger that this church is gonna do something about it. And that's why we invest so much in our children's and student ministry. And that's why we do what we do because we believe this generation is gonna change the world. And that's why we're gonna be having some parent meetings and conferences because parents need the tools today to see what this bombardment is from the enemy. And so we're gonna be having some Classes on how do you help your kids deal with the internet and social media and all these things when they're told they've gotta to go on the internet for their classes and their homework and everything's so accessible that Satan wants to get into their minds and hearts and how do you deal with that? How do you raise kids in this generation? How do you teach them how to follow the truth of God's word, love others, to love everyone but yet walk in the truth? How do you do that? You know, we have a holy disturbance about that. And by the way, in two weeks, a 1,000 high school students are gonna go to camp for a week, and those high school students are gonna be taught God's word. They're gonna be loved on in the name of Jesus Christ, and they're gonna have peers to hold each other together, to encourage each other, because they're gonna see all these others that are going God's way. And it's gonna be an amazing thing. So many students come to Christ every year at camp, and we have a 1,000 students going to camp, and I'm telling you, that one week changes eternal destinies. And it changes the whole direction of a young person's life. And we stepped out in faith this year to do something we know God's called us to do. And that is, we got a bigger camp than ever this year in Florida. It holds 1,400 people. And so we have 1,000 students right now and we believe with all our hearts that God wants to bring 400 more students 
And so I'm gonna ask you, challenge you to give a scholarship so someone who can't afford to go can go. And we're gonna bring 400 more students whose lives could be changed, whose eternal destinies will forever be changed. And so out in the foyer, we're gonna have places where you can go and you can get a scholarship for a student. And I'm telling you, there's nothing better you can do than to get a scholarship for a student for camp because that one scholarship will probably change a life for all eternity. I can't think of anything better to do to help our generation coming up and to change the world. And some of you might wanna give 100 scholarships, but we're gonna take 1,400 of the God's power and God's strength. I believe God helped my unbelief. You know what God tells me? God tells me that he wants 1,400 kids to go. He wants those 400 other kids to go that aren't, that don't think they can go right now. But he tells me it's up to you and me that we get to choose because we've got to put the little bit of faith we have into it and act with a holy disturbance. I challenge you, every one of us, to make a difference in that way. You can go out here in the foyer at the end of the service and do that or you can go online and do it, but let's do that. Mark 9, 22, let's go back to it. The father says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Then Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible to the one who believes. I gotta get some tea. If I'm gonna finish out this message with a sinus infection, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. This man said to Jesus, if you can, help us. And Jesus says, what do you mean if? What do you mean if? All things are possible to those who believe. Jesus was saying, everything is possible. Even the impossible is possible with me. And I'm telling you, he's saying to you today, what's impossible in your life is not impossible with God. Now, he can work the miracle any way he wants. He can heal instantly. He can delay the healing, but it goes through a process of healing, and then there's ultimate healing heaven one day, but there's nothing impossible with God. He was saying, hey, I can do this. There's nothing impossible with me, and the guy says, if you can, and Jesus says, what do you mean if? I can do all things. I can do anything. There's nothing I cannot do, and I don't know what's impossible in your life right now, but God can do it for his glory. I want us to stand right now And I want us to pray because I know every one of us face some things that feel impossible to us, but it's nothing for God. Scripture says that. What's impossible for man is possible with God. And there are times in Scripture where God says, this is an easy thing for me. God can handle it. And so bring it to the foot of Jesus. Maybe you've tried a lot of other things, but that winding road now has ended up right here at the feet of Jesus. He's here right now. And the broken road you've been on is come right to this place, right at this time, right on this day for a divine appointment. And we need to come to him and say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Take the little bit of faith you have that's imperfect and ordinary. Maybe it's the size of a mustard seed and place it all on Jesus. Jesus said anything is possible for those who believe. And of course, he was right at the foot of Jesus. So Jesus was saying, believe on me. Place your faith in me. It's not the amount of your faith, it's the object of your faith. What have you placed your faith in? 
put the faith you have in Jesus Christ and say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Let's bow together. Dear God, I know that you're the God of the impossible. So we come before you today and we say, I believe, help my unbelief. And Lord, I pray for everyone here who's facing an impossible situation that we would just all bring that impossibility to you because nothing is impossible with you. I pray for those who've never received you that they would just say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I need you. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) Excuse me, remain standing. I want us to sing, and when we sing to the Lord, sometime during this song, say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Bring it to God, because God wants to heal. We have our pastors out at the fountain. They'll pray with you for healing. God wants to heal today. He wants to heal me of this throat thing. God wants to heal today. Now, this just shows that it's his power and not mine. If I can barely talk and God still uses it, it's gotta be God, you know? It's gotta be God. But here's the thing. God can heal and God can do miracles. But somehow, he takes a little bit of faith we have and he allows that to be part of the miracle. Be it done to you according to your faith. Somehow, the little bit of faith I have that's imperfect collides with all of heaven and God uses it. God says, how much faith do you have? And I say, I don't have much. And God says, I can work with that. So how much faith do you have? Maybe it's not much, but God can do it with his power if you put your faith in him. Do you believe that, Woodland Church? Let's sing. He's so good, and that's why he heals. He's so good, and that's why he takes you to the places that he wants you to go. He's so good, and that's why he does the impossible in our lives. Do you believe God is good? God is good all the time, isn't he? Amen. Let's sing. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.